Praise the Lord. We're here to celebrate today his birth and what he means to us. And I pray that each one understands the true meaning of Christmas. I wanted to speak a little bit today for on a topic called Canceling Christmas. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We're familiar with these words, but here we go. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. King James says taxed. This census was first took place while Quirinius, that's not the same governor I remember there, and the King James birth, was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. They didn't have a reservation there and it was canceled. We're living in a cancel culture. Everybody's heard that phrase over the last 10 years or better at least. It basically means it's a movement to remove or punish someone by ostracizing them, boycotting them, shunning them in some way. You can do that to a person, a business, or whatever because they're doing something that you believe is not politically correct or offensive. And so you're trying to punish them, their influence, their business, or whatever it may be. Cancel them out. We live in a council culture. This, we've been remodeling our house here, many moons, and uh, <laughs> we had some furniture delivered here a while back, and they brought it in the house at night, and they undid the boxes, and, and uh, we didn't think it was the right furniture, or the right color, one of the pieces of furniture, and we didn't realize it. And uh, I went and looked it up, and it comes in different colors. And so I called them. I said, y'all delivered the wrong furniture. And they said, well, it's yours now. <laughs> I said, really? I said, well, once we delivered, I said, well, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> you brought it in the house before I could see what it was. Anyway, make a long story short, I think Beverly got involved. So they said they're going to deliver the right piece of furniture uh, this coming week. And so I praise the Lord for that. Well, the next day or two, they delivered the wrong furniture again. And I said, let me, I'm not taking this off the truck. I went and looked at it on the truck. It was wrong stuff. I said, let me save y'all a trip out here. I'm canceling this uh, order. Uh, canceling is something that we have to deal with from time to time. Probably about once a year. We have to cancel a service because it, maybe it's during hurricane season. The weather's real bad, and we don't necessarily want people coming out. Or maybe we've lost power. We don't have any electricity. So sometimes we have to cancel a service because of that. Several times a year we cancel like a Sunday night uh, service because 
It's either Mother's Day, Father's Day, Fourth of July, Christmas, or New Year's because we want our people to be home with their family. The church is pro-family. Uh, we believe as the family goes, so goes the church. As the church goes, so goes the nation. And as our nation goes, so goes this world in some many ways. Uh, so sometimes we have to cancel a service, or we do that uh, to promote family unity and chance for you to get together. Here's what the headline, according to ABC News, this was a headline in the year 2000. Christmas is canceled in Bethlehem. And they said this, Christmas has been canceled in Bethlehem. City officials have called off plans for an elaborate celebration because of Israeli travel restrictions and ongoing violence. The town of Jesus' birth will be dark and deserted this Christmas without festive street lights, street fairs, and choirs in the manger square. They canceled it again in 2017 because President Donald Trump made the decision to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, caused such an uproar among the Palestinians, and Bethlehem is mainly a Palestinian city. And so they canceled Christmas in 2017. Well, I'll tell you what, we're not going to cancel Christmas here. And uh, we're going to celebrate what the real meaning of Christmas is. It's not the festivities, it's recognizing the birth of our Savior. Now, we don't pretend to believe Jesus was born on December the 25th. Uh, we don't know what day he was born, but we're, we took that day to celebrate his birth. Can you imagine what it would be like if everybody decided to cancel your birthday? Now, we don't necessarily have cake and candles and parties and things like that for our birthday, but if nobody recognized the day that you were born, the day that you came into this world, uh, be like the little boy. He wrote a letter to his grandmother, and he said, Grandma, I want to apologize for forgetting your birthday two months ago. And it would serve me right if you forgot mine, which is this Friday, March the 12th, and I'm 12, eight years old. So... We, we, we love to remember birthdays. We don't want to cancel those out. There's a company called Muzak, M-U-Z-A-K. They're the company that plays the background music in department stores and things like this. And uh, they named the top five Christmas songs, uh, according to them. And I love all of these songs, but here they were. Number five, there was a tie between I'll Be Home for Christmas and Jingle Bells. Number four, Silver Bells. Number three, Winter Wonderland. Number two, White Christmas, Bing Crosby, whatever, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Number one, The Christmas Song, which was Mel Torme wrote that song in July. Mel Torme is a Jewish man, wrote that song in July, uh, and that's the number one Christmas song. That's chestnuts roasting on an open fire. That's a beautiful song. I love it. The top five songs. None of them say anything about Jesus. Amen. And I love nostalgia, and I love these songs and all that. But Jesus gets canceled. I want to mention two things that we don't need to cancel about Christmas. There's a lot of pressure on us as a church, as Christians, to brush this under the table. Number one, many want to cancel his birth. Now, there's been some unusual births in history. Birth of a child's amazing thing, a little... A new being is coming on to planet Earth. A little piece of a man and a woman. Their personality, their looks has been shaped and now it's going to be uh, coming to this world. There's been some unusual births that I read about 
recently. Keon and Remy Hodson. It's a biracial couple. And uh, they had twins in 2008, girls, two, two girls. Mia had black hair, dark brown eyes, dark complexion. Her sister, Haley, blonde-headed, pale eyes, I mean blue eyes and pale complexion. Very unusual birth. 2008, Raho Devi uh, from India and her husband had been trying to have children for their 50 years of marriage. They went to a fertility clinic, in vitro clinic, and she gave birth at the age of 70. <laughs> now, this one here, you're going to have a hard time believing. I still have trouble believing, but it's documented. Linda Medina of Peru is the youngest mother to ever have a child. She gave birth on May 14, 1939, at the age of five. She has a condition called precocious uh, puberty, where they, they go through puberty much, much, much quicker than a, a regular, we regularly do. James Elgin Gill, born May 20th, 1987. This changed since then because we've, technology's changed. 1987, he had the distinction at that time of being the smallest baby born that survived. Born 18 weeks early, weighed 1.1 pounds. But since then, uh, there's some that's, been, that's born that weigh 8 ounces and have survived. It's amazing. The biggest baby on record to have ever been born was the child of Carmelina Ferdell of Italy. She gave birth in 1955 to a boy, 22 pounds. <laughs> uh, they say a lot of times diabetic mothers or mothers that have insulin issues have a much larger babies. Apparently that baby was, must have come out walking. Anyway, Carolina Credenza from Mozambique. They were having a flood. The river was flooding uh, in the village. People were trying to survive, going for higher ground. She climbed up in a tree, had a baby in a tree, stayed up there for four days uh, before she was rescued. There's been some unusual births in the Bible. These are unusual births I read about, but there's been some unusual births in the Bible. Probably the most unusual one is Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, their baby. That was a promise of God. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old when they had Isaac. One comedian said all three of them were in diapers by that time. Anyway, <laughs> Judge 13, the angel of the Lord told Manoah, him and his wife who was barren would have a child. And it was Samson. He would be a Nazarite from birth, separated unto the Lord. Samuel, the prophet, the priest, the judge, was the answer to prayer of a godly woman named Hannah, and God gave her a special child. Mentioned earlier, John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, and her husband, Zechariah, that child there was given by God. He became the forerunner of the Messiah. But the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is the most unusual of all, and there's nothing to compare to it. There's only four ways a person's ever come into this world. Now listen to this. Without a man or a woman involved, that's how Adam came. God scooped him up and formed him out of the dust of the earth. One person came into this world with a man involved, but without a woman. That was Eve. 
God made her from the rib of Adam. Every one of us came with a man and a woman involved. And one person was born with a woman without a man involved. And that was Jesus, the virgin birth. Now, the uniqueness of the virgin birth has been under attack for centuries. A lot of people try to do away with it. That's one of the reasons fundamentalism rose up because that was one of the fundamental tenets of Christianity. We believe in the virgin birth. We don't understand it necessarily, but we believe it. Uh, Joseph didn't understand it, and that's very understandable because he knew he was engaged to be married and his wife is pregnant, and he knew they had never had any relations. So he felt like she'd been unfaithful to him, and so he goes about to try to put her away privately with a divorce. But here's what the angel of the Lord came and convinced him in Matthew 1.20 and said this to him. And while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Wow. It would take the Lord to convince somebody of something like that. The virgin birth has been attacked by Satan for many years. He's used that same concept in many false religions, pagan religions, Greek mythology, Egyptian mythology, Chinese mythology. They all have virgin births uh, from some, some of their gods. It's been attacked by the enemies of Jesus. Listen to this in John chapter 8, verses 39 through 42. They answered and said to him, Talking to Jesus now. Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. And then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, uh, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. When they say we're not born of fornication, they were making a remark to Jesus, he's illegitimate. Your mother, your father didn't have you, you came illegitimately, and uh, it was just another attack on the way he was born. Um, now, many people try to say, I don't understand the virgin birth, so I don't ever talk about it. Now, that's not the answer, too. We don't understand any of the miracles, really, how God does it, but we still talk about it. We don't dismiss it. Let me give you three things about the virgin birth that's very unusual. It'll pass you by if you're not paying attention. It's uniquely worded. Go to Genesis 3.15. I want you to read it. This is the very first prophecy in the Bible. And this is God speaking to Satan after he just... Uh, deceived Adam and Eve, and he put a, a curse on him. And also he had something to say to him. He said this, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. You need to circle her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's the only time in the Bible where her seed is mentioned. The man always provides the seed. The woman provides the egg in birth. But this is the one time it's hinting at the virgin birth in the very first prophecy in the Bible. It was also a sign, the sign God gave of the coming Messiah. In Isaiah 7:14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name 
Emmanuel. I had a lot of people uh, look at that word virgin there and they say, well, in the original it could mean young girl. doesn't mean a virgin, somebody without a, uh, a husband or anything. It just means a young girl. Well, if it was just a young girl, it wouldn't be a sign, would it? But what makes it a sign is that she was a virgin. Here's another thing that was confirmed by Peter in Matthew 16. Here's what, when Jesus asked them, who, who do men say that I am? Here's what he said. Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi and asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they, say, so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So once again, you get glimpses and confirmations of the virgin birth outside of the actual story. And those are trying to take it away and trying to minimize it. We're not going to stand for that. We're going to preach. That's part of the gospel story. That's part of the story of Christ. One skeptic asked a Christian one time, you mean, you mean to tell me you believe there was a woman that had a, a baby with no man involved in the process? He said, well, yes. He said, if that same baby could raise the dead, walk on water, feed 5,000 with loaves and fish, and live a sinless life, I could believe that. And so that's what it is. He was born of the Spirit, born of God. All right, many want to conceal the virgin birth or cancel out the virgin birth. Many want to cancel out his name, the names people have. I was looking this up this week. Some unusual names. Some people, this is their name, and it's just the way it goes. Kind of funny, some of them. Doug Hole. Hazel Nut. One boy's named Justin Page. No, Justin Case, I'm sorry. Justin Case. Page Turner. Stan Still. Here was one here. If you took Barb Davis and Ginger Dwyer put them together, you'd get Barb Dwyer. That's what this person's name was, Barb Dwyer. Uh, now, here's everybody in here, you may not like the name your parents gave you. Some people have a long name, some have a hard name to spell, many different things. How many here, just raise your hand, how many here go by your middle name instead of your first or last name usually? Uh, some people go by their middle name. How many of you here all your life you've been pretty much called by your nickname. Wow. Uh, how many here go by your initials? JT or, you know, BF or whatever it may be. Uh, our names are different. They're unique. Uh, some are easy, hard to pronounce, or hard to spell, but it's what separates us from everybody else. When your parents gave you your name, uh, that's something that you'll be called the rest of your life more than likely. Uh, but the names in Bible days were a little bit different. The Bible days, they gave a name with a purpose. They didn't look it up in a book of names. They gave that name to, for a special reason. Usually it was a statement of praise to God or affirmation of their faith. Elijah means my God is Yahweh. Jonathan means God has given. And you could go on and on. Sometimes they would give a name to a child that was because the way the child looked or an unusual event surrounding that birth. Uh, somebody like 
Miriam means fat, thick, strong. Ishbosheth, man of shame. He was the guy that was Saul's son that became king when God had David in mind for the throne. Anyway, he got assassinated in his bed one night. But anyway, uh, so a lot of times their name has a different meaning to it. As you come into the New Testament, as the population began to grow, they had to attach something. They didn't have a first and last name or middle name, so they had to attach an appendage to your name so they could differentiate you between somebody else that had the same name. And so they would always attach the name of your town or the name of your occupation. For example, Joseph of Arimathea, Saul of Tarsus, or they would say John the Baptist, Simon the Zealot, Simon the Tanner, and so they would, they would uh, instead of a last name, they would have some kind of appendage to help identify people. Now, when the angel came to Joseph, he gave him four declarations. Joseph, did, he was to totally confused. He said this, fear not to take Mary to be your wife. That's the first one. Then he said, because what's conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. That was number two. Then he said, you're going to have a son. That was number three, which they didn't need a sonogram. He told them ahead of time there's going to be a boy coming. And then he told him, and you're going to name him Jesus. They didn't have to go through a baby book name, name book to pick out a name. They knew the name. It was given to them. There have been more songs written about the name of Jesus than any other thing. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it then where'er you go. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven. Jesus is the sweetest name I know, and he's just the same as his, his lovely name. What a name, what a, what a name, the name of Jesus. On and on, this uh, lovely name. Uh, Jesus, name above all names. Beautiful Savior, glorious Lord. Uh, been more things done in the name of Jesus than anything you can imagine. Hospitals built, universities founded, homes mended, lives changed, calendar set. Men and women have sacrificed their life to go around the world to take the gospel in the wonderful name of Jesus. I'm going to give you three reasons we can't cancel his name out. Number one, his name ushers us into the throne of grace. John chapter 14, 15, and 16 is a prayer. Uh, really, it's called the upper room discourse. Jesus is in the upper room. He's eating one last meal with his disciples. He's fixing to be arrested in a matter of hours. He's going to not have them together like this again on this earth. And he's saying goodbye to them. And he's letting them know what's coming and all. And, and he gave them three things because they were totally shook up. They didn't know what to do. He gave them three things. He said, I'm going to give you a paraclete. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. It's going to take my place. I'm not going to leave you by yourself. You're going to have someone with you. John 14, 26 said this. And the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance, all things that I said to you. Then he said, I'm not just going to leave you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave you my peace. Here's what he said in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, 
neither let it be afraid. He gave them the paraclete. He gave them his peace. Then he gave them prayer and a powerful part of prayer in John 16, 23 and 24. Or John 4. Okay, let's go to this one first. In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Okay, the next one, uh, Julia. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Is there another one? Is that, that it? Okay, here we go. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. He gave us his name. It's, it's the key to prayer. We, we approach the throne of grace in prayer. There was a parable Jesus gave of a man trying to get into the wedding feast, didn't have on the wedding garment. And they stopped him and said, you can't get in here if you don't have the wedding garment on. We go into the throne of grace in prayer through the name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus. His name sanctifies our prayers. Prayer is not about saying it's our chance to tell God what we need him to do for us. Boss God around. No, prayer is really where we line up with God's will so he can do what he wants to do through us. And so it, it, that's what Jesus' name is all about. He gives us authority. His name is his authority. You can go out there and policemen be out there at uh, the road, hopefully, at the end of the service, stopping traffic. You don't stop because that man looks bad or he's big or he's muscular. He might be five foot two and 120 pounds. But you stop because of the authority he has, who he is. And that's what we do. Uh, we come in the name of Jesus. So his name ushers us into the throne of grace. His name is the foundation of our service. Everything we do as a child of God, we do in his name, for his glory, for his honor. Look what it says in Colossians 3.17. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here's some other scriptures, Matthew 18. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Next one. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Everything we do as a Christian, we do in the name of the Lord for his glory, for his honor. So his name is the foundation of our service. His name is the only way of salvation. Look at Acts 4.12. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's a lot of people that believe in their heart. All religions are all saying the same thing, just got different names, and they're all going to the same place. That's not true. That is false. Jesus said, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through him. We believe that. Let me ask you to do something. We've done this before. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one, two, three, and then I'm going to give you a chance to say something. I want you to say the name of the denomination you got saved in. 
or the church, or the name of the church you were saved in, or the name of the preacher that was preaching when you were saved. Anyway, you just shout it out when I give you the sign, and everybody shout it out together. One, two, three. Now, did anybody recognize any of that? A mess. But if I ask you, name the one that saved you, that gave his life for you, that redeemed you. One, two, three. Jesus. That makes all the difference. There's no other name whereby we may be saved except the name of Jesus. And the final thing, his name is a name everybody's going to have to give an account to one day. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Now listen to this. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and those in heaven, and those on the earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody's going to answer to that name. There used to be an old commercial, I think it was Fram Oil commercial, says, you can pay me now, or you can pay me later, getting your old filter changed and so forth. And that's the way it is. You can bow down in submission to the Lord today and choose not to. And if you leave this world, you will bow down to him one day. You will be made to bow down before him. Evil dictators. You think of the dictators that's abused people, abused millions of people, killed millions of their own people, made their life miserable because of their thirst and lust for power. They're going to have to bow down to the name of Jesus one day. You think of judges. We've got Supreme Court judges that can tap their gavel and change laws and interpret the laws the way they want it interpreted. They're going to have to stand before the Supreme Judge of the ages one day and give an account to him. Entertainers. We pay good money to entertainers. Musicians, actors and actresses, athletes. We like to watch them. They stay in the spotlight. A lot of people idolize them because of their talent, their gift, or what they can do. They've lived in the spotlight. But one day they're going to give way to the one who is the light of the world. Preachers, we're going to have to stand before God. Those who have taken the word of God and watered it down. Those who've gone along with the culture and said this book doesn't apply anymore. They're wolves in sheep clothing. And one day they're going to have to stand and honor him for who he is and bow before his holy name. Those that have no time for God, we're living my life, I've got a lot of things doing, I'm making money, I'm doing this, I ain't got time for that. You'll have time one day before all of eternity is standing before you. You're going to have to bow down before the name of Jesus. The heart and soul of Christmas. Charles Craig, I'm going to wind this down. Mother took him to Manhattan to look at the Christmas stores one day. And he said he went to a store and it had different displays in the window. One display had a sign over it that said the smell of Christmas and it showed a picture of a little kitchen. The next display said the taste of Christmas and it had a little display of a dining room table and the food on it. 
The next one said the color of Christmas. And it had a picture of a tree all lit up. Then the next display said the sound of Christmas is in its carols and has somebody singing Christmas carols. It said, but the heart and soul of Christmas is here. And it showed a nativity scene. Jesus, he's the reason for the season. Somebody said this, who's the child born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago? Some say he's just a good teacher. No, good teachers don't claim to be God. Some say he was a good example. Good examples don't mingle with prostitutes and sinners. Some say he was a madman. No, madmen can't speak the way he spoke. Some say he was just a phony, a charlatan. Charlatans don't raise people from the dead and raise themselves from the dead. Some say he was a myth. Myths don't set the calendar for human history. The words of Doubting Thomas when he met Jesus after he rose said it best, my Lord and my God. 2,000 years ago, an angel approached a frightened man and said, you're going to have a son and you'll call his name Jesus. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about his name. We're all being forced or tried to force us to cancel the message of Christmas, cancel the name of Christmas. I'm going to close with this little thing. This comes from Chicago Tribune back in 1998. They have dozens of people sometimes that come to the hospital or police station and they're traumatized and they have no identification. They don't know who they are. And there was one man that came there with no identification, no family, no name. So they kept him hospitalized. They kept him in a wheelchair. He wore a little helmet. Uh, but he was an older man, and they just called him Carlos. They'd come up with a name, and every time they'd call Carlos, he'd just giggle. And they called him that for 13 years. He walked, rolled around in his wheelchair with his little helmet, the giggling Carlos. And then on November 29, 2011, they discovered who the man was. And they had a birthday party for him. His 53rd birthday. And the caregiver there at the home said this, we'd like to celebrate the birthday of Crispin Marino. And he didn't giggle. Tears flowed down his cheeks. It's the first time he'd heard his name mentioned in 13 years. And it triggered who he was. Charlie Brown said this in the Peanuts cartoon. He was looking at his piggy bank. He dumped all his money out of the piggy bank and he said to Lucy was there. He said, all I've got is $9.16 to go out and buy Christmas presents. And Lucy said, you can't buy Christmas presents with $9.16. He said, well, I'm going to try. She said, well, you might buy gifts, but they'll be cheap gifts. And he said, how can a gift be cheap if it costs you everything you've got? How can Christmas be cheap? Because it costs the Son of God everything he's got. Would you stand with us? I pray that this Christmas will be meaningful to you. We like to close out our service. And I'm going to give you some directions on what we want to do. 
we've got some candles down here. We prefer the, dr the grown-ups to get the ones that's going to be lit. We've got some other candles. If you want your child to have a candle, it's battery-operated or whatever, let them have that. But we're going to ask everybody to make their way to the center aisle, come down, grab it, go around the, all around the outside, around the back of the building to the sound booth, and we're going to eventually circle this whole place. But you're going to come like this, and we'll try to move it as long as quickly as we can. We'll take the center two, and we'll start there, and then we'll move to the outside. But when you get your candle, just hold, get to your place, and we'll tell you what to do in a moment. And you'll just circle the outside of the building, go to the sound booth, and line the walls or line the back, and wait for instructions.